John chapter 16. I moved our Sunday morning series to tonight. John chapter 16, let's read verses 5 through 15. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Albeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Last week we considered verses 5 and 6, and without attempting a full recap of that whole message, I would say the main emphasis was how sorrow will affect our prayer life negatively. In our text, Jesus has said that He's going away, and that didn't make sense to the disciples. But at the beginning of verse 7, Jesus says, it's expedient for you that I go away. It was going to be profitable for Christ to go away. Against all common sense and logical thinking, Jesus' departure was for the best. Because it allowed God, the Holy Spirit, to arrive. He's called the Comforter in verse 7. Jesus said, if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. I'll remind you what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. He said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Jesus there, remember, in referring to the Comforter, said, I will come unto you. The Holy Spirit is the Lord. The Holy Spirit is God. Every child of God has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And I agree with the song. There are times in life where uh, you better feel that you're saved. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm not saying you're going to have time. You're not going to have times of doubt. You're not going to have times of those things. But uh, if, if somebody as big as our Creator saves you, you ought to know it. He says, I will come to you, God dwelling with man. While Christ was robed in the flesh, His ministry was limited in the sense of how far He could travel. He's all-powerful, I understand that, but when He was in the flesh, He was limited in, in how far He could go and that kind of thing. And He was preaching in Judea and Galilee, 
But now that the Comforter has come, God's presence literally spans the entire globe. Amen. He's everywhere. So we can learn that while certain circumstances may not make a whole lot of sense at the time that we're going through them, we must trust God's ways and we must trust that His ways are best. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them uh, that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Are you going through something today? Are you going through something that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense? Even though it's God who said it? Even though you know it's of God? And it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense? I want you to take heart tonight because God does not waste our trials. I can't help but think of the song Rejoice in the Lord by Ron Hamilton. God never moves without purpose or plan when trying His servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness He giveth a song. I could not see through the shadows ahead, so I looked at the cross of my Savior instead. I bowed to the will of the Master that day. Then peace came and tears fled away. Now I can see testing comes from above. God strengthens His children and purges in love. My, father's no, my Father knows best, and I trust in His care through purging more fruit will I bear. Oh, rejoice in the Lord, He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take, for when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. God has a plan for your life. He's got a plan for you to fulfill His will for your life. He's going to give you an expected end. I believe God wants you to know His will more than you want to know it. If you'll simply seek, you shall find. He's got a plan for you. And while sometimes it may not be seen, and while sometimes it may not make a whole lot of sense, just keep trusting God. Keep trusting His ways. He knows what is expedient for us. He knows what is profitable for us. Now, I want to look at the work of the Comforter here. We see in verse 8 that when the Comforter is come, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The reasons for each of these are given in verses 9 through 11. First, we see that the Holy Spirit will reprove the world of sin because they believe not on Christ. Some may read this and think that God is somehow harsh for sending the Holy Spirit to reprove of sin. This word reprove, though, it, it means to convince as well. And I think in reality, this is a very merciful act of God that He would send the Holy Spirit to convince us of our sin so that we might be able to cry out to Him. You see, it's a merciful act of God to tell us that we're sinners. God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But that cannot happen until one is convinced that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Therefore, it is the goodness of God to reprove the world of sin 
in hopes that they may be saved. The only ones who have ever been found are those who have been lost. And the ones who have been lost are the ones who have become convinced of their sinfulness before a holy God. And the only, uh, only one that happens uh, to, to have a saving faith in God, uh, the only way that happens is if the Holy Spirit convinces us of our sin. How does this happen when a lost person doesn't have the Spirit of God dwelling in them? Well, that's the uniqueness of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God which draws a man to be saved, convincing him of sin. Sometimes it'll be through preaching. Sometimes through reading God's Word. Sometimes through a song. Sometimes through somebody witnessing. Sometimes through a gospel tract. It can even begin to happen as one considers creation. And I'd ask you tonight, are you witnessing to others? Are you reading God's Word to others, especially your family? To any who will hear it. Do you have a song in your heart? Do you sing? Are you handing out gospel tracts? Are you preaching Christ at every opportunity? You can use creation as your starting point. That always gets people fired up. Amen. I'm not saying we're trying to fire people up. Everybody. Just be faithful. Just be obedient. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Don't think you have to have this memorized routine to give to people. You know, the best thing you could probably do is just tell others what God has already done for you. Has He saved you? Tell other people how that happened. You ought to be able to say that. Amen. But always keep it about belief in Christ. Because notice what verse 9 says. The Holy Spirit will reprove of sin because they believe not on me. The sin by which one is condemned is not believing in Christ. People want to debate all these other sins, but when it gets down to brass tacks, it's whether or not you know Christ as your Savior. John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 say, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Mark 16, 16 says, But he that believeth not shall be damned. You have to call people to make a decision about Christ. I'm not calling them to make a decision about alcohol. I'm not calling them to make a decision about sexuality. I am wanting to call them to make a decision on Jesus Christ. In their lost condition, it really doesn't matter their opinion on hot button issues of our day. But what is going to matter in the end is whether or not we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And by the way, without the Holy Spirit's presence, you will not see anybody come to Christ anyway. We can't save anybody. All we can do is preach Christ and then let the Holy Spirit do the work in the heart. How about you? Have you been convinced of your sin? 
believe it or not, those who have been raised in good churches are some of the most difficult people to see saved because they have a hard time admitting their sinfulness. They sometimes see themselves as righteous. They think they're okay. And the sad part is, by the time they realize that they're not saved, they're too prideful to come forward and get that right with God. And it's not that you have to come forward in a church service to do that. But it becomes a pride issue because I don't want anybody to think I've been living a lie. It's hard for some people to admit that. Don't let pride be the reason you don't get real with God. You do not want to die in your sins. The Bible is clear that without Christ as your Savior, you will go to hell, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. But God doesn't want you to go to hell. That's why He suffered and shed His blood and died for you. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. If you're a churchgoer, and you have yet to call on God and receive His free gift of salvation, please don't wait any longer. Is the Holy Spirit reproving you of sin? then you need to respond while you still can. The Bible says to seek Him while he, is, uh, near, while he may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Second, we see in verse 10 that the Comforter will reprove the world of righteousness because Christ was going back to the Father and they would see Him no more. I believe this refers to the Holy Spirit's convincing work of declaring Christ as righteous. The Holy Spirit convinces us that Christ did rise from the dead. That He did ascend back to the Father's right hand. And we must be convinced of this because we can't see Him. Without this, we would be hopeless. Without this, we would have no salvation. Without this resurrection, without being convinced of Jesus' righteousness, He would have just been a deceiver. I don't know about you, but the Spirit has convinced me that Jesus was resurrected. That Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He has convinced me Jesus is righteous. It's the same thing the Holy Spirit did for the centurion who watched as Jesus was crucified and gave up the ghost. In Luke 23, 47, it says, Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. It is to convince us that Jesus was without sin. 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In addition to seeing Christ as righteous, the Holy Spirit convinces us of our need to have Christ's righteousness imputed to our account. Having been shown that we are sinners, we learn that our righteousness isn't good enough. Therefore, we are given His righteousness. And you won't be convinced of Christ's righteousness and your need of His righteousness if you're never convinced of your own sinful unrighteousness. 
Romans 10.3 says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.9 that he wanted to be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Third, we see in verse 11 that the Comforter will reprove the world of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. (laughs) Amen. That's where we would all... All The Holy Spirit will prove that Jesus Christ is mighty to save. Whosoever will call upon Him for salvation, having been convinced of their sinfulness, having been convinced of their need of Christ's righteousness... If Christ has successfully judged the prince of this world, then certainly He's Almighty. Remember in John 31 where Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. None can be restrained who will come to Christ for salvation. Satan cannot hold you if you're going to Christ for salvation. The prince of this world has been judged. And if you'll get convinced of your sinfulness, get convinced of Christ's righteousness, be convinced that He is mighty to save, Satan cannot hinder that. I believe this also may refer to the certainty of the unrepentant sinner's judgment to come. Certainly, the judgment to come upon this world in the final judgment day when sinners will be cast into the lake of fire for rejecting God and His Christ. I can speak of my salvation because I was there. I know I became convinced of the punishment which awaited me if I rejected Christ. I became convinced by the Holy Spirit that I stood condemned before God without Christ. I became convinced that the sentence of the wrath of God was abiding on me unless I was born again. I became convinced that the only one who was powerful enough to save me was Jesus Christ. I was convinced that my own works could not save me. That my baptism before my salvation could not save me. The fact that I was raised in a Baptist church could not save me. I'm glad God still saves Baptists. Hey man! And God saved me out of that. And now I'm a Baptist because of conviction. Hey man, not just because of family tradition. Somebody said you read the Bible, you'll become a Baptist. Hey man! I was convinced that I deserved God's judgment. That's hard for some people. To admit... That a holy God is going to bring judgment one day. But He's just. And in fact, His holiness demands that He deal with it. And you say, well, I don't like that. Well, then you're missing the fact that He gave Himself. He died for you. So that we could be saved. Thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit. In convincing us of our need. Of God's salvation through Christ.
And I think it's already kind of come out in my preaching, but did you notice the progression here? There must be an awareness of our sinfulness. That's the first place. I think many times we glaze over some of this. Well, are you a sinner? Yeah. There's no real understanding what that means sometimes. Well, do you want to go to heaven? Yeah. I've got good news for you. All you have to do is pray this prayer. And it's like sin never marinades. It's like there's never a a real understanding of our crimes before a holy God. It's like we don't understand that we are deserving of God's wrath. And so I want you to understand this progression. It's admitting that we're sinners, but it's admitting that we are deserving of God's punishment in our sin. There has to be an awareness of our sinfulness. Then there must be an awareness that we cannot save ourselves in our own righteousness. But how many are teaching that the church can save you? How many are teaching that the baptistry waters can save you? You can join every church in town and that don't make you right with God. You can get in every baptistry in town and that don't make you right with God. The only thing that makes us right with God is running to Him for salvation through Jesus Christ and His blood alone. Admit you're a sinner. Admit that you cannot save yourselves. And then... There must be an awareness that only Christ can save us because He's all-powerful. The Bible says all power has been given unto Him. That's what He said. One may not fully understand all of this at the moment of salvation. I can't tell you that I understood it all. But this is how the Spirit of God convinces mankind of their need for God. You may wonder, well, how is all of this possible? I'll answer that by quoting the third verse of the hymn, I Know Whom I Have Believed. It was written by Daniel Whittle in 1883, and it says, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. But I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You say, how does it work? I don't fully understand it all, but I can tell you it happened to me. And I can tell you that the Holy Spirit convinced me of sin. It convinced me that I couldn't save myself. uh, self, And it convinced me that only God could save me. So I hope you can see the progression there. Now in verse 12, Jesus says... I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. That would have irritated me to no end. When my wife does one of these, oh, I've got to tell you something routines. I know, I'm not going to be able to focus now until I know what it is you got to tell me. I figure somebody else is mad at me or something like that, and I kind of need to know. I need to know. Well, I can't tell you in front of the kids. Then why'd you mention it in front of the kids? They're going to want to know. 
especially Sydney. She's the <laughs> she's a little mama. Amen. Jesus says, I can't tell you at all right now. Isn't it funny how some people think they know it all? <laughs> I'm just veering a little bit here. God help me, we're live streaming. It just amazes me. People can say, well, I've read the Bible. Wow. That's wonderful. All right, you know what? Let me focus. The treasures of God and His Word are without number. But the Bible mentions that we have to learn line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Jesus knew here if He tried to teach them all that He wanted to at once, it would be more than they could bear. They would have been confounded even more. Look, they're having a hard enough time dealing with the fact that He's going to be betrayed. And if Jesus would have gave them all that apparently He was going to give, or maybe wanted to give them, or if Jesus were to tell them more, maybe is the best way to say it, it would have confounded them further, and honestly, they would have stumbled even more. It would have been too much to process. How many of you have learned the Bible you don't just get it all in one reading. I believe it was Dr. Tom Williams, the cowboy preacher that I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but I love this joke. And he said, old boy came to him and said, hey, I've got a question in Mark. And he said, well, let's go to Mark. And then he said, I've got a question in Matthew. And he said, well, let's go to Matthew. And then the young Christian said, I've got a question in Ezekiel. And he said, let's go to Matthew. Some things are hard to understand. Don't believe me, become a pastor and teach verse by verse. You know what I have found? You get to some of those sticky verses and you think, well, I'm going to see what the commentators had to say. They didn't have nothing to say either. <laughs> I went into a bookstore once. And I pulled, I won't say who, but I pulled his book off the shelf. There was a particular verse that was just eating at me that, that week or that month or whatever. And I pulled the book off the shelf, well-known preacher, and I turned to that passage. And it was blank. <laughs> the passage was there, but there was nothing written. And I thought, that about, that about sums it up, amen. There's some things that are just hard. And Jesus here, he doesn't give them everything. But he assures them in verses 13 through 15 that when the comforter arrived that He would guide them into all truth in time to come. Would you look at verses 13 through 15 again? Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are Mine, therefore said I, that He shall take of Mine, and shall show it unto you. If you're lost, then I know you don't understand it all. But if you're genuinely seeking, I want to let you know the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. Amen. Jesus doesn't play games with those who are seeking Him for salvation. 
the Holy Spirit will guide you in the truth. If you're a child of God, then there are, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt here tonight, amen. There may be some things you still don't understand. But the Spirit of God will never lead you astray. He will guide you into all truth. He will show us what we need to know. He gives us what the Father knows we need to know. What the Father decides we're ready to handle. I've shared my testimony here when Preacher was teaching some things that were fairly controversial. I was not ready to receive some of that. And I had to make a conscious decision. Does that man walk with God or not? And I decided I'm staying put, thank God. I'm staying put, but for four years I didn't touch that stuff. Some of you remember what I'm talking about. Because I wasn't ready to bear them yet. You understand what I'm saying? So what I'm trying to say is, if there's some areas that you are confused about, if there are some portions of Scripture that really don't make a whole lot of sense to you, I want to just encourage you, just let the Holy Spirit work. It may not be in your time. It may be something that Jesus is waiting until you're ready to receive it. Does that make sense? So don't, don't get disheartened in that. There's, there's some things in all seriousness in Ezekiel. And, and there's things that we read and we study and we just wonder how they fit and all this kind of thing. Don't let that frustrate you. But just trust that in God's time, when you're able to bear it, He'll make it known. You say, well, that may be on the other side of heaven. Praise God, you'll be in heaven. Hey, man. I believe because of the Holy Spirit work here and what he does, I believe this is why it's critical not to quench or to grieve the Holy Spirit's working in our life. When we go to the Word of God, listen to me now. When we go to the Word of God, we need the Holy Spirit of God. When we assemble in church, we need the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Because we see that the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ. This is the reason for our being left upon this earth. We've been created to glorify God. For this reason, we need the Holy Spirit in our life. We need His presence. Or else we just end up working in the flesh. How's your Christian life? Is it all that it should be? Do you sense that there could be more to the Christian life than you're experiencing right now? Boy, I just feel like testifying some more. I got to tell you, there's been times when I knew God had more for me. I was thankful to be preaching. I was thankful to be teaching an adult Sunday school class. But I knew deep down that this is not what God had for me. And I let God know. And I cried out to Him in prayer. Do you sense God has more for you? 
Maybe he's waiting to see just how hungry you are. How thirsty you are. Can he trust you with more? How's your Christian life? Have you been born again tonight? Have you been convinced of your sin? Have you been convinced of your need of Christ's righteousness? Have you been convinced that Christ is mighty to save? If so, then what are you waiting on? Give yourself to Christ and receive His free gift of salvation. And to our church, corporately, I say, we need the Spirit of God. The songwriter was correct when they said, all is vain unless the Spirit comes down. We need the Spirit of the Holy One to come down upon us. I don't want to just play church. And to those of you listening at home, church is not this building. Church is not the four walls and the roof. But the blood-bought church of Christ is the saved. We can still function as a church even though we're under these unusual circumstances. We need the Spirit of God. And without the Spirit of God, we just become another social club. And we meet just to fellowship. And ask stupid questions like the weather. We need the Spirit of God to come down. If the Spirit of God would come down, we'd see revival. We'd see great and mighty things that we've never seen. Because we can't do it in our power. Sorry if you like to talk about weather, but after 21 years as a meteorologist, I'm done talking about the weather. By the way, I'll tell you, I'm glad that in South Dakota, we do not have the tradition, at least here at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, of doing an Easter sunrise service. Could you imagine that this morning? Half a mile visibility, blowing snow, five degree wind chills. Uh Uh-uh. I'll see the sun later in the day. Amen. But I just want to encourage you to to grow in your walk with the Lord. Don't get frustrated along the way. Here a little, there a little. Line upon line, precept upon precept. God will give you what you need in His time. He knows exactly what we can handle. And I would say during these times of maybe slowing down a little bit, that we would seek God's face. That we would seek for the spirit of the living God to fall fresh on us. Amen. Let's pray.